Good morning. Thanks for joining us for worship today. And Andrew said things are going to look different. Um, I'm doing three short mini messages with some various activities throughout the service um, while also sharing some testimonies of people who have shared with me over the past week of how prayer has impacted their life. And I hope that you have a story too of how prayer has impacted your life and maybe even leave today with a story of how the Holy Spirit impacted your life today. And so I want to begin this passage on prayer with prayer. So will you join me in praying? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present with us right here in this space. Would your presence be upon us, bringing us peace, bringing us feelings of comfort and joy that we've never experienced before, that are only explained by the power of your Holy Spirit being present among us? And would you move in us today to better understand how we can pray, why we should pray, and your longing for us when we meet with you in prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read for us our passage, and then I'll jump into my little message here. So the first reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44, and it's titled, Jesus Heals Many. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, They tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Here ends our reading. Well, prior to this passage, Pastor Andrew has spent some time preaching on, which is when Jesus was out in the wilderness being tested by the devil um, in all various different kinds of ways where Jesus would then respond with scripture and stand firm in who he was and who God is and the truth of the scripture. And then it says in chapter 4, verse 14, that after that period of time of being in the wilderness, that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he was being filled with the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit. And he went around visiting synagogues. Those are like local congregations, local churches, um, where he would meet with people. And he even went home to his own home synagogue to share that he was the Messiah and the Son of God, who they had been waiting for to come as the Savior. And some people praised him, but other people did not. And in his own hometown, they were saying that, He was committing blasphemy, claiming that he was from God. And they were ready to throw him off a cliff. But God protected him and saved him and got him out of that situation. And so now Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, is going around and doing his ministry for the kingdom of God by traveling around, casting out demons, and healing people. That is the work in the kingdom of God. And so then it picks up on our reading that we just had in verse 38, where Jesus is going into an ordinary place, a home, 
of a friend, of a disciple. Thank you. He's going into the home of his friend, Simon Peter, who um, was a follower and friend. And so it was an everyday place, the home, and it was like if we would be invited to somebody's home to hang out, have coffee, a meal, go spend time with them. But while there, he finds that Simon's mother-in-law, this is Simon Peter, um, is sick with a fever, which is a high fever for her, probably more serious at that time because they didn't have the medical care and knowledge that we have. But for us, when we think of a fever, we might think, oh, that's kind of a more common sickness that we would experience here today, right? Um, But back then, it was probably a bigger deal. They didn't know what these fevers were. I can't tell you how many times I've woken up and my kids have this unexplained fever with no other symptoms, and you're like, what is going on? And then the next day, they wake up and they're fine. And um, fevers are pretty common for us. Maybe not so much for us adults. That would be a little more concerning. But when Jesus learns about Simon's Simon's mother-in-law, he decides that it is an opportunity in the kingdom of God, to show the love of God to this woman who was suffering. And he did that through prayer and through healing. And Jesus, in his prayer of healing, he does something called rebuking the fever. And there's a weird question here of like, well, what does rebuke mean? What, like, why would I pray for someone and rebuke a fever or rebuke a sickness? Um, the word rebuked in Greek means epitomio, and that alone means to show honor, raise the price, admonish, and change sharply. And so let's break this down into its origins, um, how they come together. So the word epi um, means to position oneself over or against. So Jesus is positioning himself against that fever, claiming that he is God, he is strong, he is the one who is healer. And then the tamayo part means to see the value of someone or something and to honor them. So I'm going to put this word into context for you that in this situation, Jesus and his authority is taking charge of the oppression, which is the fever, honoring this daughter of God, raising her above that illness, saying you are more than this illness, this oppression, taking hold of it and commanding it to leave. Rebuking it is commanding it to leave her body. And in this action, honoring her value and her worth because she was worthy of his company, his touch, his love, and his healing. So I want to look more at this. I want you to notice that Jesus does not then cast any blame or shame or advice saying, you shouldn't have done this, It, it caused your fever, or you shouldn't have done that. But It's just a simple story of love. In fact, she gets up and she starts serving them and blessing them. And then this story is also a great example of how we are to model prayer for others. That when someone comes to us expressing need for healing, we are to love them and value them and honor them by praying for them and rebuking or commanding to leave whatever is ailing them. The question, though, is... um, What sort of authority do we have in this? In this situation, Jesus is the Son of God. He clearly has authority to do as he says. Um, But when we read in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he commands us to go and do 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the authority of Jesus works through us to go and do exactly what he has done, which includes what we witness here. And then we see the impact that this healing of Simon's mother-in-law has on the entire community. And that's through the power of storytelling, of testimonies, because this happened in just one little house. But by later in the day, in the evening, people were flooding to him, wanting to experience what his mother-in-law had experienced. They came because they heard the power of Jesus. They heard that somebody had been healed and touched through the power of prayer. And they too wanted to be part of that. And Jesus did just that. He spent his time healing them, casting out demons. And in that power of testimony, it increased their faith in Jesus to follow him. And so I know we're already on the slide. You've probably already read through it all. But um, what do we learn here in this passage? Well, we learn that Jesus healed in ordinary places. It didn't have to happen right here in the front of a sanctuary or a synagogue. Um, It didn't have to happen in the middle of a powerful worship service. It happened in ordinary places like a home. Or, if you read other stories, on the street, outside the city gates. Jesus healed whenever there is an opportunity, no matter where it was. And along that, he healed anything, great or small. It could have been as great as a high fever or as small as a low-grade fever. Um, or anything alike. And then next we learn that when we, like Jesus, rebuke things in prayer, we are honoring the worth and value of that person. And then we learn that there is power in sharing what happens there and the impact that it has when we share our stories of prayer with other people. Then other people's faith is increased, and they then come to Jesus and receive that same care and love um, through prayer. Now, what I want to make clear to us is that there's probably been many times we've come to somebody in prayer, and we pray for them, and it's a powerful prayer. Maybe someone even goes to the point of rebuking or commanding that that healing to take place, and then nothing happens. And I want to make clear that this is part of the kingdom balance that we live in, the kingdom of God here at work and the kingdom of the enemy at work. And we don't always get the answer that we want. But the most important thing here is that when we enter into prayer with God, one thing we will always get is an increase in faith, a meeting with the Lord, an opportunity to feel valued and worthy of the Lord. So we've been talking about the resurrected church how we as a church, knowing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, changes us. And in James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, a lot of time when we think of confessing, we think that it's only all the bad things we've done. Like, I have to go and confess all of my bad sins to people. But that word confess also means admitting our need for God. And so that doesn't have to just apply to our sin in, our, in asking God to meet us in our need of forgiveness, but also asking God for help when we need him in sickness and in times of trouble, in times of fear, and in times of worry. 
And believing this, the prayer of a righteous person, um, means believing there is power and faith in believing in God. And so Jesus, he lived a life that was consistently, constantly in the work of the kingdom of God. We, too, are called to model that prayer, that type of prayer um, that Jesus modeled for us, to confess and admit our need for him. And then we are to pray about it so that we can receive healing from him. And as I said, it doesn't mean we will always be healed. Some reasons we don't know why, but that shouldn't pull us away. It should draw us closer to God, knowing that when we do draw close to God, it will increase our faith. And so I want to do an exercise with you all. This is something that I do often with my youth group. And so kids, this is perfect for you too, because um, this book is called Imaginative Prayer, um, a year-long guide for your child's spiritual formation. And so children, we may not have had a children's sermon today, but this is an opportunity for you to learn as well. And so, as I said, this may seem strange, but the idea is that God can speak to us in our imagination. Um, And so I'm going to invite everyone to close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. And in our silence, I will say a little prayer for us. God, I pray that you will release our imagination and help us to hear you speaking to us during this time together. We open our hands to you. We open our ears to you. Come, Holy Spirit. And now as you are sitting here with your eyes closed, attentive to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to read a story, and I want you to imagine yourself in this story. Close your eyes and imagine you are blind. Imagine you can't see anything at all. Imagine you always need to be led from one place to another. What would it be like for you in school or at work, in your everyday life, if you were blind? Would you be able to cook? Would you be able to play baseball? Would you be able to watch TV? How would you see those around you? How would it feel to not be able to see? Imagine you couldn't see the faces of the people you love. Imagine you didn't know what your mom, dad, husband, kids, friends looked like. What would it be like to only be able to recognize the voices of people in your room? If you were blind, would you want to see? Imagine you are living in a time when blind people had to beg for food. Picture in your mind that you are sitting on the side of a dusty road in the center of a small town. You have a metal cup in your hand. and From time to time, people drop coins into your cup. This is how you live. Every day, you beg for food and money. You also have a bowl next to you. This bowl is for food. Because you are blind, you are poor. You have no one to take care of you. And so you beg for food each day. And from time to time, people 
bring you a cup of rice to eat. Or when you are lucky, a nice big piece of pizza. What would it feel like to beg for food and money? To not see the faces of the people taking care of you each day, but to only hear their voices. Imagine smelling the rice as someone brings some food for you. You are grateful for the warm rice. You are grateful you you can eat today. But suddenly, off in the distance, you hear a large crowd coming down the road. You know that a crowd is coming because you can hear all the feet shuffling. There are more people walking your way than usual, and there are more voices. Everyone is moving toward one section of the street. Someone, it seems, is leaving town, and a great crowd is following. You begin to wonder, who might attract such a crowd? And then you hear that it is Jesus. Imagine your heart begins to race, and you feel a great rush of excitement come over you. You have heard Jesus pass this way before. You remember that the last time Jesus passed this way, people were rejoicing when someone was healed of a great sickness. Imagine that you begin to crawl toward the crowd, and in your excitement, you call out the name, Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. And over and over again, you call out the name of Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me, Jesus. Imagine that some people are telling you to be quiet. Some people are rebuking you for causing such a scene. The crowd is starting to notice you, and people are looking at you. They are telling you, be quiet. And all you can do is cry, Jesus, 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 have mercy on me. What does it feel like to call out to Jesus? Then the crowd grows quiet, and it sounds as though everyone has stopped. You hear someone coming toward you, and someone says to you, get up. He is calling you to come. Imagine rising up to your feet. Someone is leading you toward Jesus. You can overhear him talking to others, but what does it feel like to hear the voice of Jesus? Listen as Jesus begins to talk with you. He asks you a question. What do you want me to do? What can I do for you? What does it feel like for Jesus to reach out and take your hand and ask you this question. Oh, how you have longed to look someone in the eyes, to see their face. Imagine what it would be like to say these three words. Jesus, I want to see. And in an instant, Jesus speaks again, and your eyes are opened. Your faith has healed you, he says. Look at the face of Jesus. Look around you at the crowd that has gathered. Look at the people's faces. They are amazed. God loves you so much that when you are sick, he wants to heal you. The most important part of this story is that God loves so many things. That he loves you. That when you are lost, he will come looking for you. That when you are sick, he wants to heal you. Amen. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that first imaginative prayer exercise. And if you experienced anything meaningful at all um, and encountering with the Holy Spirit, I would love for you to tell me at some time um, via email, drop me a letter um, in person sometime. I would love to know your experience with that. And that goes for you too, kids, if you experienced anything. I know every time I do this with the youth, they're always like, oh yeah, that was so cool. And um, I hope that was for you too. Our next reading comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing, arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, He rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. Leading up to this passage is actually a really important part of this story. Right before this passage, Jesus is up on a mountain with James, Peter, and John, where they witnessed the transfiguration. This is where a cloud descended on the mountain where Jesus was, and then all of a sudden two more men appeared to be with him who they believed to be Moses and Elijah, two very prominent figures well-known by the Jewish people. And then they heard the voice of God say, this is my son who I love, listen to him. And so what a unique and wonderful opportunity these three disciples had to witness the power of God and the intimacy of God and the transcendent son of God. And then we pick up in verse 14 where they are coming back down from the mountain and we see Jesus entering the scene where there's a commotion going on among the disciples and a group of people. And he sees his other disciples and there's this father who is asking for help for his demon-possessed son. And for some reason, the disciples are unable to cast out this demon. Um, I don't know what they did, um, what they were doing, but Jesus decided he needed to step in both to teach his disciples, but also to meet the need of this father and this son. I want to point out, though, that this isn't the disciples' first time doing this. They weren't necessarily doing anything wrong 
Um, they just didn't know exactly how to do it. Um, in fact, they were trying to do exactly what Jesus had taught them. Um, in the first few chapters of Mark, there are several stories where the disciples witness Jesus driving out demons and impure spirits. And then in chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus sends his disciples out to villages to perform miracles, heal and cast out demons. So this isn't necessarily new to them. This is just a unique situation where they thought they were doing what they were supposed to do, but for some reason it wasn't working. How many of us have tried to pray and not gotten the results we hoped for? And we're wondering, what, what do I need to do, God? Well, in verse 19, Jesus replies with, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I stay with you? Bring the boy to me. Yes, bring the boy to me. And so Jesus seems almost angry at this situation. And he is, it seems like he's calling out the disciples and perhaps the crowd for their lack of faith in this situation. And then we see this really neat encounter with the father of this demon-possessed boy. And though there are many different ways we could read this passage and learn from, the part that I want to focus on today is Jesus' interaction with the father. And so it says that the father brings his son who is suffering to receive help and healing. And he acknowledges Jesus, teacher, I came to see you to heal my son. He's saying, I need you. I can't heal him. I don't know who else to go to anymore. I need you, Jesus. Clearly I need you because your disciples don't even know how to help us. So who else can I turn to? And this story, it kind of reminds me of something like a doctor's visit. Like you would go to the doctor and share your history, share what's going on. We see this a little bit in this passage where um, Jesus starts asking about the son's history. What's been happening with him? What does this spirit do to him? How long has it been in him? Um, it's been in him since he was a child and, and wanting to know how it affects him today. And then listen to the words of the father. It's, he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, usually when we go to the doctor, we hope for results. We hope for some help. When we walk into the doctor's office and then leave with no results, no answers, no source of healing, we usually say, like, I'm hopeless now, right? I'm sick. Now please make me better, doctor. And then when we leave without answers, we feel hopeless. So I can see why Jesus might respond the way he does. He responds with, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. It's like Jesus is saying, yes, I can. I'm Jesus. Do you know me? Do you know who I am? I was just up on a mountain when the God of all time and space told my disciples that I truly am the Son of God. And he's, it's like he's saying, you don't need to beg me to heal you. Believe that I can, because having faith is believing that Jesus can. And then look at the confession of the Father. I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. I'm going to repeat that. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The dad in this story acknowledges his neediness, his need for Jesus, his son's need for Jesus. He was honest to the Lord and Savior about what he needed, how he was struggling, and how he was even struggling in his belief. He, and that's when um, Jesus comes in. And 
he realizes the only one who could help him in this faith was Jesus. And so what's important to see here is that this father was willing to come to Jesus and ask him for help in the midst of struggle for his son and for help in believing in his faith. For us, when it comes to prayer, whether that's praying one-on-one to God or with another person, honesty and vulnerability are so important to God. Even being willing to pray and bring those things that are weighing us down to God is very important. Because when we share where we are feeling weak or suffering with unbelief, you may very well find yourself in a place where you can experience the power of Jesus. Because when we cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, I am struggling today. Help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know what to do. I am feeling lost. I am feeling confused and helpless. Jesus is going to respond. He may not respond the way we always expect, but what we hope he will do is will increase our faith in him. In addition, when we reach out to somebody for prayer and say, help me in my unbelief, help me in my struggle, we can cling together as the resurrected church of believers and then together turn to the one who can truly help us, and that is Jesus. Us ladies on Tuesday mornings have been studying Lisa Harper for a very long time, and Lisa Harper had a really great quote that I want to share with you this week. She says, acknowledging your admitted unbelief may lead you into the greatest season of your life. So coming forward and saying, I am struggling in this area of my life, Jesus help me, may very well lead you into the greatest season of your life. And Don't think that you have to come to God having it all together. Tim Keller says, Helplessness, not holiness, is the first step to accessing God, realizing our need for him. And so as a church, we need to be more open and honest to the Lord in asking for help in all of our needs, spiritual needs or in our helplessness, in our physical needs. And I'm not just talking about any church, although this is great for any church, but even here at Emmanuel, um, we need to pray for one another and be open and bringing our helplessness to God together, especially in the areas where we are feeling unbelief. And so let's admit it, we don't have it all together. Too often we say, I'm fine, when really um, we are not. And we make this excuse thinking that someone else has it far worse than me. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, where is the faith, the belief that Jesus cares about every single detail of your life? Why do we suffer and allow our times of unbelief to lead us away from Christian friendship or a prayer partner instead of running towards it so that other people can help us in our faith journey? So my challenge for you starting today, is that sometime over the next six months, okay, is to find a time to pray one-on-one with someone and bring your areas of struggle and unbelief or fear or helplessness to Jesus together. That could be after worship, up here sometime, or in any ordinary place, okay? I don't care if you're standing in line at Walmart or if you're on a walk around town, wherever Jesus meets you in that moment, and you feel that tug on your heart to share and pray, I invite you to follow that. So at this time, I'm going to invite anybody who is part of our prayer team 
um, who has taken our prayer trainings or workshops, who's been willing to come forward and pray for people, would you just stand where you're at for people? We have lots of people, even up on the balcony around here, um, who have been so willing to pray for people over the past several months, and they come forward after worship. Um, They are willing to pray with you at any time for anything, um, just as we've been talking about. So maybe you see someone here that you think you can connect with, that you can go to for prayer. Thank you. You can all have a seat. So after worship, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite all of those people up here to stand on the side And if you feel that tug on your heart from the Holy Spirit to come receive prayer today, I invite you to do that. If you're like, "Eh, not today, I understand. But sometime over the six months, as you feel that nudge on your heart, I invite you to do so. Um, And so I know we will have communion taking place as well. If you go for prayer and communion is happening, after communion is done, we are happy to have you come over and receive communion, even if we are done over here. So don't feel like you have to choose one or the other. We will attend to you, okay? All right, so as we learned earlier, there is power in testimony and storytelling. So I want to share a testimony of a friend um, before I close this mini message. It says, my friend Lynn from seminary shares, one Sunday I prayed with an older woman as people were in line for communion. She said her granddaughter was in an accident and in a coma. She wasn't waking up, and her daughter had little faith in God. So we prayed for Jesus to wake the child up and reveal himself to the mother, a simple prayer while in line for communion. The next day, I was told the child woke up at the same time we prayed in church, and the lady was able to witness to her daughter about Jesus. That is the power of God and his prayer, power of God in prayer. We're almost ready to wrap up our service here today, and I want to spend this last little bit talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and how active the Holy Spirit is even in our lives today. So I'm going to read from John 14, verses 15 through 21. It says, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. All right, so Jesus is gathered here with his disciples. It's the last night before he will be crucified. Um, He's going to be betrayed by Judas um, Iscariot, but at this time he's eating his last meal with his closest friends and followers. He's washed their feet and he is explaining that he will soon die, but not to fear because he will send a helper, an advocate to be with him. And this helper that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. And what we learn from this passage is that um, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit for all who believe in him, and that it lives in us, and that includes you and me. 
I want to read from our small catechism just briefly when we're teaching about the Holy Spirit in confirmation. It says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified me and preserved me in true faith. And so the Holy Spirit comes to us and draws us into faith and believing in Jesus Christ. And not only this, but the Holy Spirit is promised to be with us forever. And that means the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was promising back then is present with you now and dwells in this space with us today. It also talks about how Jesus revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, which means we learn about Jesus not just when we open the Bible, but by engaging in the Holy Spirit, um, perhaps through prayer or our prayer with other people, or when we open the Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through those words, or in worship. Maybe you're someone who loves music, and when you listen to music, you can feel or hear or sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus' love and care and compassion for us, And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us to remember the teachings that Jesus teaches us. He may bring to mind teachings or truths when we are going about our day, or in the midst of temptation, or in our interactions with other people in creation. It also talks about how the Holy Spirit is truth, which means we don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit is not going to deceive us or lead us away from God into a path of destruction, but will actually lead us into a journey of faith, one that is of God's will and of his goodness for us. And then most importantly, we need to engage with the Holy Spirit all the time. Because when we do, it's a way for us to experience Jesus's love for us, but also show our love for Jesus. So I want to spend a little bit of time to close out our worship um, sharing about how the Holy Spirit has worked in my life and in the lives of others. So one of the ways that the Holy Spirit can work um, and speak to us today is through having intersecting or affirming thoughts from various places. So things that you might be thinking about that the Lord might be speaking to you may be confirmed through other people speaking in your life. For me, this sometimes happens, um, and maybe this has happened to you when you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, and then all of a sudden a song comes on the radio, and you're like, oh, that is just what I needed, Lord, like you have totally met me in this moment. Or maybe someone comes up to you and says something, and you're like, oh, I was just thinking that same thing. The Lord must really be speaking to me. You may also be in prayer and just have like a hunch or an impression or a suspicion. Maybe if you're a mom, you know that gut feeling and like, oh, something's just going on. I don't feel quite right about this. And that can be the same for us as too. I had a feeling once that I was supposed to reach out to my brother randomly, random time of day, and tell him I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell him to be extra cautious when driving that day. And I didn't know why, but I felt that the Lord wanted me to. So I was obedient to that. And I remember even saying, like, I don't know what this means, but it was fine. And my brother decided to stay home that day. And then later that day, his roommate comes home and says, man, I just had this weird feeling today that something bad was going to happen to you. And my brother was in shock, like, uh, my sister told me to stay home today, and I don't know why, but somehow the Lord was speaking protection over him in that moment. 
Sometimes you may literally see things. Have you ever heard of somebody who's had visions or seen angels or demons or had illustrations come to their mind of pictures in their mind um, when they are um, in communication with the Lord? I have a really good friend who lives here in town who has these gifts, and she regularly drives around town, and she looks out for these things, and she'll pause, and she'll pray for those things. Um, And even while she is worshiping, she will witness the Holy Spirit and the angels working around Story City. It's really, really cool. You may also feel like unknown pain or Um, body sensation in your body that may be a sense that you're supposed to go and pray for someone who has that. Um, Maybe a pain in your leg that isn't yours, but it may be God telling you to go and pray for someone who has a pain in their leg. So one time I was at a worship service and I had a weird pain start at the top of my head and go to the very back of my head. And I just shared with the group about this and a girl came forward and said, I suffer with migraines and they start right here and they go all the way back. And so we spent some time praying that night and then we followed up the next time and prayed some more and followed up again and prayed some more. And God showed her so much love through that time of prayer. And I don't remember what sort of healing took place, but it was a powerful moment. And lastly, Jesus through the Holy Spirit, maybe bring scripture to mind. Um, in the Bible, it says that the word of God is flawless. It is a shield of protection for us, that it is God-breathed and useful to us, and it can judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And so maybe you're sitting there and a familiar passage comes to mind, and you're like, oh yes, the Lord is speaking to me about this. I'm going to end our time before we go into closing prayers by sharing two testimonies with you. There once was a woman who was at a prayer workshop, and at this prayer workshop, she participated in a prayer exercise in which everyone received a piece of paper, and they were invited to pause for a moment and listen to God and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to them. They would then write on this piece of paper what they felt God was saying, folded it up, and put it in a giant pile with everyone else's. And all the papers were collected, randomly shuffled, and handed out to people. And this was an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in speaking to people's needs right where they were at. This woman was not expecting anything extravagant, but saw in the paper, I believe God wants to heal your left shoulder. Now this person, being very active, physically fit, um, paused for a moment and remembered that she had been having trouble with her left shoulder. It had been bothering her and clicking and feeling uncomfortable when she would work out. And she immediately felt like the Holy Spirit was meeting her in that moment, bringing healing not just to that, but to other issues, other things in her life. She felt loved by God in that moment and seen and valued. And it was at that time she was able to share about this and have people lay hands on her and pray for her. Today, she has noticed great improvement in her shoulder. Another story I want to share is from Andrew's uncle, um, I got permission from his aunt to share this really awesome story. She even mailed me a copy of the news article that was published. Um, So this is about her, um, or Andrew's Uncle Ken. It says, early on the morning of October 24th, let's see, this was 1993, Ken's heart stopped and he collapsed. Although Ken's wife's wife, Lois, thought she heard something, it was their younger son, Joshua, who alerted her to a funny sound in the other bathroom. Lois's attempts to reach Ken were hampered by the fact that his body was barricading the bathroom door 
When she was finally able to force her way in, Ken's respiration had stopped and his face was already purple. Lois ran to the phone and dialed 911, getting what she thought was only a dial tone because their phone sometimes malfunctions and cuts off calls. However, EMT reports verify that her call actually did register in a few seconds on a dispatcher computer screen, along with their name and address, activating the EMS system. In her distress, not knowing that she had actually reached 911, she called her neighbors and her pastor, and they came over and began to do CPR on Ken. In the meantime, Lois knelt by her husband Ken and began to pray. The neighbors and the pastor continued CPR until the ambulance crew arrived, only minutes later. Man down, not breathing, came across the pagers. It was one of those times, says ENT, Roger, and Steve, when everybody on the service, not only on the call crew, seemed to show up to help. The ambulance crew arrived at the scene three minutes after their pagers were tripped by the 911 dispatcher. Ken was checked for any signs of respiration and pulse, but none was found. They administered an electric shock with a defibrillator, hoping to start the heart beating again. The team continued alternating the defibrillator with a CPR a total of five times. Only certain heart responses were promising, but they still couldn't manage to establish a heart rhythm. Getting Ken to the emergency room, emergency room where additional heart stimulants could be used was agreed as the best course of action, and he was rushed to the CP to what with CPR still in progress, to the hospital. Lois followed along, calling all the people she knew to make a prayer chain um, to family and friends. Um, this network would spread throughout the county and Iowa and adjoining states and even on the radio station. Prayers were mercifully answered when Ken's heart began to beat after reaching the hospital. However, he was airlifted to another hospital where he was in a coma for two days. She says, I knew the Lord was with me. I remained calmed when otherwise I'm sure I would have fallen apart. More prayer was answered when Ken awoke, recognized Lois, and was able to talk. A lot of what was said to Ken didn't make sense at first because he had suffered rather severe short-term memory loss. But he kept trying to pull out all his IVs because he didn't remember what they were there for. Ken has since regained most of this memory and his sense of humor. He jokes that he actually had the easiest part in his all. And let me just point out that this news article was written three weeks after this situation. So Ken recovered from his ordeal relatively quickly. He remembered his ambulance ride. He said through, he sat, sailed through an estimated three and a half hour surgery in just two hours. And when he, he received an automatic implanted cardio, cardio defibrillator, device that will detect when it happens again and will shock his heart to restore its rhythm. And he returned home in just two weeks after his heart had stopped. What keeps this family going is the scripture Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. A day after Ken's heart failure, failure Lois claimed a promise from John 11:25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believeth in me, though we are dead, yet shall live. The Lord gave me complete assurance that Ken's life would be spared, she said. I was so excited that God had done a mighty work in our lives and that he was right there with us. He truly is the giver of life. Ken's recovery was a total miracle, 
of divine intervention since they estimate that Ken had been without natural heartbeat or respirations for nearly 40 minutes. Those on the ambulance crew acknowledged they were in the right place at the right time to be used by a higher power. What a powerful story of God at work through the power of prayer. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite your Holy Spirit to come upon us right now, Lord. That in all these ways that we've just talked about, of how you speak to us, would you speak to us now in that way, Lord? Would you bring to mind scriptures or songs or feelings or images in our minds of how you want to speak to us? Because you are a good God who sees each and every one of us as worthy. And Lord, in areas where we are struggling with unbelief, helplessness, or fear, or worry, would you come and meet us in those spaces, Lord, in our hearts? Increase our faith, Lord. May we be more willing to turn to you, to be open with your Holy Spirit, to be willing to experience the power of your Holy Spirit over our lives, and be willing to pray wherever it is at for anybody in need. And Lord, we lift up to you all of those who are struggling right now, Lord. And Lord, we rebuke those illnesses and command them to leave. We rebuke fevers. We rebuke depression. We rebuke anxiety. We rebuke long-term illnesses and diseases. We pray for those who cannot walk to be able to walk. We pray for those who cannot see to be able to see. For those who have heart issues to be free from those. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be the great physician in our lives, Lord, meeting us in the little things and the big things. And Lord, we thank you for this town of Story City, that you are work, at work mightily here, Lord, and we are a part of it. Help us to see that we are part of the body of Christ. Help us to see that you have a role and a purpose for us here. So Lord, we come to you today and surrender all that we are and all that we have learned today, Lord, and we give that to you as we pray our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. (coughs) Be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.